to 2 Kings. I'm going to get into the message this evening, and, and this will be, I'm going, to, I'm going to go ahead and say it, this will be the last message on our Bible heroes. Because, um, you know, I said the other day, I said, I, we've, been, we've been doing these messages and studies on these different Bible heroes, started with Noah on Wednesday nights, and we've been doing this, I said, for a few months. <laughs> I checked my notes, I looked and seen what, see what, when I did Noah, he was the first one, La April of 2018 is when we did <laughs> Noah. So we've been, we've been on Wednesday nights doing uh, studies on these hero, Bible heroes of the Old Testament um, for a little over a year now, about 13 months. So uh, we're going we're gonna to wind it up tonight for this time. We're going to wind it up tonight with, uh, with our fourth message on the prophet Elisha, whom we are referring to, we've, we've called the greatest, the greatest pastor in the Old Testament. And he was called the great, we're calling him the greatest pastor in the Old Testament because he's referred to over and over again. If you'll read and study his life, he's referred to by the Lord and by everybody else as the man of God. And so, you know, I believe that a pastor, a minister, a preacher of the gospel should be above all things, above everything else, should be a man of God. Amen? Yes. Do you agree with that? Yes. I, I believe that. And so our, our golden text for these four messages has been from uh, 2 Kings chapter 8 and verse 4. And it says, Then the king talked with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, Tell me, please, all the great things that Elisha has done. And I tell you what, we have found out, and, and you know, there, there could be so much more that could be said about Elisha, but we have found out that he truly was a great man of God. And God used Elisha in such a mighty way, and he used the ministry of Elisha to bless people. That was what God used Elisha to do. You know, he, we talked about how he got the double portion of the spirit that was upon Elijah. And so the double portion, which represented the fullness of the spirit, that double portion was upon him. And God used him in such a miraculous way. And the, and the majority of the miracles that, that Elisha performed by the hand of God were characterized by grace and by blessing. And so, you know, when you look at that, at the comparison between Elijah and Elisha, Elijah's ministry was a type of the law. He was the fiery prophet of Mount Carmel, calling down fire from heaven, calling for drought, calling judgment. He was, he was representative of the law. But when he passed away, dropped the mantle to Elisha, and the double portion of the spirit of Elijah came upon Elisha, representing the fullness of the spirit, then Elisha's ministry uh, was a type of, of grace. It was, uh, you know, the law now through Elijah had, had passed away, and now it's a type of the ushering in of grace. And with the grace of God, um, it came the blessing of the Lord. So those miracles of Elisha were, were, were uh, miracles of grace and blessing. And in this... Uh, Elisha was a type of the Lord Jesus Christ sent to those who were broken, those who were hurting,
hurting, those who were suffering, all of humanity that was, that was in trouble and in need. Um, Elisha was there to bring help and blessing to them. He went about everywhere he went, he was helping people and he was doing good. So there in that respect, we've talked about how he was a type of the Lord Jesus Christ because it said of Jesus uh, that he went about, Jesus did what? He went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed of the devil. So that was the ministry of Jesus. You know, John the Baptist came in the spirit and the power of Elisha, to, of Elijah to make way and to prepare the way for the Lord to come. And it said that the law came through Moses represented by John, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So we see that comparison with, with John and Jesus just as we see with Elijah and Elisha. But he went about doing good. I mean, he, he healed he healed poison stew. He made an axe head to swim. He healed poison water. He multiplied the oil of the widow. He raised, the, 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 he raised up the Shunammite's woman's son from the dead. He fed the hungry and brought joy to the hopeless lives of the people. Uh, Elisha bound up the broken and gave victory uh, to people over their enemies. And so as Gehazi said to the king of Israel, or as the king of Israel said to Gehazi, please tell me all the great things Elisha has done. There are so many great things that he has done. We could have preached uh, probably for another whole month just on the life of Elisha and still not finished it all because of the great man of God that he was. Amen. He was the greatest. As I said, we refer to him as the greatest pastor in the Old Testament. He was and is a man of God. Amen. Now, I want us to look tonight, uh, if you want to turn over to 2 Kings chapter 5, um, we're going to look at, again at some of the some of the characteristics of Elisha tonight as a, a great man of God and as a great pastor, a great minister of, 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 of the Lord. And uh, I want you to, to draw your attention to 2 Kings chapter 5 because this is, a, this is another miracle of Elisha that we're all very familiar with. And in this miracle, it's the healing of Naaman the leper. Does anybody, you familiar with that? And in this miracle, we see a characteristic here of Elisha in that Elisha knew how to deal with sinners. I believe that every pastor and every minister and every Christian and every church needs to know how to deal with sinners and deal with the lost. Amen? All right. Well, okay. I see you all are excited about this tonight. But uh, in 2 Kings 5, and we, we may read a verse 2 as we go along, but you can read it and study it when you get home. But Naaman was a Syrian. He was a great man of Syria. He was, um, 
He was one of the king of Syria's um, uh, most honorable men, a mighty man of valor, uh, verse number 1 says. But uh, he was a leper in spite of all the great things that he had done. The Bible says that Naaman was a leper. Uh, a leper. And we know that leprosy, and we've talked about this before, how that leprosy was a type of... Uh, it's a type of sin. It's a, it was an incurable disease. It was an unclean thing. And leprosy in the Bible is a type of sin. And it's a, a type of, of, of uncleanness and a type of an unsaved condition. And so in spite of all the great things that were said here about this man Naaman, uh, nevertheless, Naaman, um, all the th great things about him could not do him any good as far as his leprous condition was concerned. None of the things that is, it were said, great things about him, could heal him of his leprosy. Amen. And that's the way it is today with people that don't know Jesus. Doesn't matter how high in society they are. Doesn't matter how great they are in this world. Doesn't matter how much finances or money or wealth that they have. That, none of that can heal them of the leprosy of sin. Amen. There's only one thing that can do that. And so Naaman, Naaman's, Naaman's wife had a little a little Hebrew maiden that had been taken captive and, uh, by the Syrians, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And this little Hebrew maiden told, uh, told Naaman's wife, said, You know what? If, there's a prophet in Israel and, uh, by the name of Elisha, and if, if Naaman could get to where that prophet is, if he could just get to where Elisha is, that guy, Elisha, he's a man of God. And he could heal Naaman. He could heal and cure Naaman of his leprosy. Here she was telling this Syrian woman what the prophet of God, the man of God could do for her husband just in the same way. You and I need to be telling people what Jesus could do for them and what Jesus could do in their life. Amen? And so she tells, him, she tells uh, uh, Naaman's wife about it and so Naaman gets the word. So he goes to the king of Israel and he says, I need to go, I need to, or to the king of Syria, he said, I need to go see a prophet down in Israel. I've, I hear that he can cure leprosy and I'm gonna, I need to go down there. And so he gets, he gets his entourage together and he gets uh, some silver and some gold and some, a lot of fine clothes together. Um, one study Bible said about $3 million worth of stuff he's got together. He's going to give, if this man, listen, if this preacher's got the goods and can cure this guy, this leprosy, he's going to get one, this preacher's going to get one big blessing. We find out, though, that the true preacher turned down the pay. Amen. He, he couldn't be bought. But anyway, he's, he goes with all this money trying to buy his healing, and he comes to the house of Elisha. 
How many knows this story? He gets to the, to the place, to the house of Elisha, and they knock on the door of the man of God. And uh, old Naaman, he's standing out there, you know, at the front door. And he's, you know, he's a big shot. Naaman's a big shot. So he's expecting to be treated like a big shot. So he's there waiting outside of Elisha's door, just waiting for Elisha to come out there and, and expecting him to come out and make some big to-do over. And he's, he's expecting uh, Elisha to come out and just do some great things. You know, he said, I know he's going to come out and he's going to just wave his hands over me and do all this and he's going to cure me of my leprosy. But Elisha didn't come out. Elisha didn't even acknowledge Naaman. He just sent, he just sent one of his uh, servants out there and he sent, he sent uh, the, 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 the leper Naaman just a little brief message and he told him this. He said, here's what you need to do. You go wash seven times in the Jordan River and when you do that, you'll be cleansed, you'll be cleaned. Just go wash, dip seven times in the Jordan. That's what you've got to do and your leprosy will be cleansed. That was the remedy that the man of God through the Holy Spirit gave to Naaman the leper and that was the only remedy. There wasn't any debate here. That was the only way. It was going to have to be obedience to the command of the Lord if he was going to receive his, if he was going to receive his healing. So that's what Elisha tells Naaman to do. Well, what was Naaman's response? He was enraged. He got so mad. Oh, man, this preacher don't know who I am. He won't come out and talk to me. He was just furious. The, the, the Bible said that he was furious. He got in a rage. And, you know, don't he? Does, well, how dare him not come out here? Don't he know who I am? I am Naaman the Syrian. I'm a big shot. Listen, there isn't no big shots in God's eyes. Amen. Amen. He's thinking, I'm somebody. I'm this powerful man. I, entire nations tremble at my presence. I have won so many victories for the nation of Syria. I'm somebody special. I surely thought, and this was Naaman talking to himself. We, talk, we preached about that a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? But this was Naaman talking to himself. And he said, I thought he would surely come out here and just, you know, he would just he would just call on the name of the Lord and he would strike his hand over the place and he would just make a big deal out of this and he would recover me of my leprosy but he hadn't even he won't even come out and talk to me I mean what about Abana and Farpar those are two rivers in Damascus in Syria that are much better water than than this old muddy Jordan and they were those two rivers in Damascus were just crystal clear clear I I mean, it was like comparing Black River with the Mississippi, you know. I mean, <laughs> just, you know, you got Current River with all that beautiful, clear, cool water and that old muddy Mississippi with them old stinking, anyway. Amen. But, but he said, those two rivers there in Damascus are, are clear. I could go washing them. I would wash in them, but I, there's no way that I'm going down and getting in that old muddy Jordan River. And so the Bible said that he turns around and he just stomps away. And, and the scripture said that he went away in a rage. Who was he mad at? He was mad at the preacher. I, you don't know how good that made me feel when I read that 
today. And I was studying that today. And the Holy Spirit just said, see? <laughs> if you're going to be, you know, somebody said it's the, always the top banana getting sliced. If you're going to be in the ministry, you're not going to please everybody. I wish we could, but we can't. But, but nevertheless, he was mad at the preacher. He turns and he goes away. He's furious. He's in a rage. He's mad. There's no way he's going to do what this, what this prophet has told him to do. But let me tell you something. This here, what, what you see in this story is the message of the gospel because uh, Elijah tells the, the leper, which the name of the leper, who who the leprosy represents sin, he tells him how to be cleansed. He says, go, wash, and be clean. You got to wash to be clean, and there's only one place to wash. He wanted to wash in the rivers of Damascus, and, and, and Elisha said, no, there's only one place to wash. I think you know where I'm going with this. Amen. There's only, there's, there may be other rivers that are more beautiful, but there's only one place to wash. There's only one place to wash and be clean. And can I tell you, we know where that place is. That place is Calvary. That is the cross. That is in the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Amen. See, that is the message tonight. There may be other rivers that are more beautiful and that are more desirable than Calvary because let me tell you, Calvary is not a beautiful place. There is a stigma. There is an offense that goes with the cross. And people want to find another avenue, another way to try to bypass the cross to get to heaven. But there's no other, there's no other way to get to heaven except through the cross. There's no other way to live a victorious, overcoming Christian life except through the cross. Is anybody listening to me? There's only one place to wash. There's only one place to be cleansed. There's only one place to go. And people can get mad and they can get enraged and they can turn and run and walk away and say, I'm going to the rivers of Damascus, but they can do what they want to. But listen, Naaman could have went to, uh, uh, to those other rivers and would have died a leper. And people are going to other means and other places and other ways to try to get to heaven and to try to get victory over sin. But can I tell you, there's only one way. There's only one way. We gotta wash and be cleansed through the flow, through that cleansing stream of Calvary. Amen. That is the only way. That is the only place. And this, listen to me, church. I hope. Well, you know, I, I, I pray that people don't get tired of this because we have to. This is what we have to hold on to. This message cannot be softened. This message cannot be toned down. It cannot be watered down. It cannot be adulterated. But it is being, that is what is happening within the majority of the church today. People will mouth a little bit about the cross or they'll say something about the cross, but then they'll turn right around and point people to, to the other rivers for help. Are you listening to me? Isn't that what's happening today? 
Well, maybe you can go to a banner, a parfar, maybe one of those other rivers. I mean, they're a little cleaner than the Jordan. But this message of Christ and Him crucified and what He did at Calvary for you and I that affects our entire life, that affects our eternity, that, infect, uh, that affects us in our everyday walk, that message cannot be messed with. It cannot be watered down every person. Amen? That is, Paul told, listen, Paul told that church, was it, was it the church at, at Corinth? He said, when I come to you, I'm not, I don't want to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's all I want to know. Amen. That's all that I want to know is Christ and Him crucified. That's the main thing. Amen. So every person, every person has got to come to the Lord the exact same way. Every person will be will be will, will walk in victory and overcome sin in their life by the exact same way. Amen. And that way is to wash and be clean in the cleansing stream that flows from Calvary's mountain. Amen. So let me tell you something. See, here's the thing. You know what keeps people from going to the cross? is the same thing that almost kept Naaman from, from going to Jordan and getting his healing. And that thing is that big old pride. Pride. P-R-I-D-E, capital letters, amen, with the, with the I in the middle. That, right in the middle of that word is the I, the big I. It's all about I. It's all about me. Well, no, it's not. See, Naaman's pride almost robbed him of his healing because pride, listen, pride will never accept the cross. Pride will never accept that sacrifice. So what Naaman had to do was, Naaman had to humble himself. Naaman had to go God's way. Amen. He's storming off in a rage. Amen. He's marching away from Elisha, still with leprosy in his flesh, in his body. And he says, I'm not going that route. But that is, there is no other route. So his pride about got him in trouble. But then it said there in verse 13 that Naaman's servant that was with him said, You know, if that prophet would have told you to do something great, you would have done it. So why not just go and wash and do what he said to do? Just do that. Just do it. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, that's all I can say. Just, just do it. You know, it's like Mary, the mother of Jesus, told, told, told those guys at the wedding feast at Cana, said, whatever he tells you to do, do it. Just do it. Oh, man, what, what a revelation that is. Praise God. How that would bless us if we would just do it. So why don't you just do what the prophet says and, 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 you know, just go and wash and be clean. And so then it says that in verse number 14, in verse number 14, it says, uh, so, so he went down, Naaman went down and he dipped seven times. I heard a guy preach that one time, seven, seven dunks in a muddy puddle. He, he got in. 
He got in that Jordan River and he dipped seven times according to the saying, listen, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Here's complete cleansing. Here's total, complete restoration. When he obeyed the Word of God and he went to the place where the Word of God told him to go and where the Holy Spirit had directed him to go, and when he washed in that Jordan, he was restored, his flesh like it was restored like that of a little child. Every single trace of leprosy is gone from his body. You know, he goes out. Why did, why did it say seven times? Why did he have to dip seven times? Would six have done it? No. no. I mean, you know, he goes down. He goes down once and comes up, he's still a leper. He goes down twice and comes up, he's still a leper. Five times, he's still a leper. Six times, he's still a leper. But on that seventh time, why was it seven? What's significant about that? Well, I believe it's what's significant is because seven is the number of completion and the number of perfection. And so the seven dips in that Jordan represent a finished work. It represents a completed work. It represents what Jesus did at the cross. Amen. He didn't halfway do it at Calvary. He all the way did it at Calvary. Come on, somebody. He didn't pay for some of your sin. He paid for all of your sin. He didn't, he didn't win just a little bit of victory for you. He won complete and total and absolute victory for you when he died on that cross and bruised the head of the serpent. Praise God. When he rose from the dead victorious over death, hell and the grave. He won a total finished complete work. Nothing else has to be done. Nothing else has to be added to it. It is a completed work. Come on. Oh, hallelujah. And so it was, there was a total cleansing that came on that seventh time. And that is what the blood of Jesus does for you and me. It gives us a, a total cleansing. Amen? Amen? See, listen to me. There was a time that Rick Hensley was a spiritual leper. But I, oh glory to God, I feel the Holy Spirit here. There was a time that you wouldn't have liked me. Some of you may not now. But there was a time... <laughs> <laughs> there was a time that I can guarantee you you wouldn't have liked me because I was a spiritual leper. I was lost. I was undone. I was unclean. I was living in sin and filth and ungodliness. But praise God, I'm glad to say today I can stand up here and say I'm not a spiritual leper anymore because I've been to the cleansing stream of Calvary. Praise God. I've been washed and made clean and whiter than the driven snow. Amen? Just like there was complete cleansing for Naaman, there was complete cleansing from Rick Hensley. It, for Rick Hensley, it didn't, it, didn't, it didn't matter what I had been or where I had been or what I had done or what my past held. When I come up, hallelujah, hallelujah, when I come up from that cleansing stream, all that was gone and you couldn't even tell that I was ever a spiritual leper before in my life. I was made brand new in Jesus. Praise God. 
Hallelujah. That's what Paul told that Corinthian bunch, you know. He said, he said, don't be deceived because unrighteousness will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he began to list those. And he said that fornicators and adulterers and homosexuals and, 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 and the unclean and the ungodly. And he mentions a, a list of different sins. And he said, adulterers and all these, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. But then he said to that Corinthian church, he said, but and such were some of you. Some of those there in that Corinthian church that were saved and filled with the Holy Ghost were involved in those very sins. And he said, such were some of you. But you are cleansed. But you are sanctified. Now you have been washed and you have been justified. And we're not the same person that we used to to be. Hallelujah. Praise God. Oh, man. I tell you, that, that just, man, that turns me on. That gets me excited. Hallelujah. See, Elisha would not change. And here's the thing. Elisha would not change the message or the method for Naaman. He wouldn't change it for this man. And can I say this? Neither will we at Abundant Life. We will not change the message. We will not change the method. It's still the same as it's ever been. There may be some like Naaman that will not accept that and say, no, there are other ways. And they may turn away and they may leave and they may leave here mad and they may leave here in a rage. Sometimes on Sunday morning, I have people, you know, I'll have people get up and leave while I'm preaching. I don't know if they got somewhere to go or if I've said something that's, that's ticked them off. I don't know. But, but, but here's the thing. It doesn't really matter because if I'm preaching the truth, amen, they'll just have to get right or get left. Come on. It is a little distracting to the preacher. When that happens, I think that's why God told Jeremiah when you're preaching to them, don't even look at their faces. Don't even look at them. <laughs> so they may, do, they may be some namings that jump up and go out in a rage and say, we're not following that. We're not listening to that. But can I tell you what? We've got to be. We've got to be just exactly like Elisha was here. What was the point that I was making in this story? That he, as a man of God, knew how to deal with the sinner. And that church, the church today has got to know how to deal with the sinner. How do we deal with the sinner? We don't condemn them. We don't beat them over the head. We don't kick them out. We don't try to run them off. No. But what do we do? We tell them the way that they can be cleansed. Amen. We tell them and we point them to, the, to, to Calvary. We point them to Christ. We hold out to them the remedy. And listen, the lost has to know that they're lost. They have to know. And we've got preachers that said, no, we don't they don't preach on sin because they say sinners already know they're lost. No, no, no. No, they have to know. They have to be told that they're, they're in a fallen state and that they are sinners and that there's only one way that they can be changed and cleansed and forgiven and set free from that bondage. That's how we handle the lost. We cannot compromise the word of God because there would be souls and the blood of souls lost souls on our hands we gotta pour them to the Jordan we gotta pour them to the cross we gotta pour them to Jesus Christ amen 
Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Man. So he didn't change the message. There can be no compromise. I, I've got 15 minutes, and I've got I to gotta get this next point here. So he knew how to deal with sinners. But listen, as a great man of God, here was the secret of Elisha's power. The secret of Elisha's power was his contact with the unseen world. Now listen to me. I'm not talking about something mysticism or anything. How many of y'all know there's an unseen realm? The, the spirit realm. And he was able, Elisha was, he was able to look at things and to see with the spiritual eye what you couldn't see with the natural eye. Elisha was a man who was conscious of another realm, that spiritual realm. I've told you this before, that the spirit, the spirit realm is more real than, the, than this physical natural realm because the spirit realm created this natural realm. God is a spirit. And they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. Amen? Um, angels are spirits. And so the seraphim, the cherubim, all of these angelic hosts are spirit beings. They are real. Listen, there are angels in this room tonight. Amen? You, you can't see them with the natural eye, but they're real and they're here tonight. Amen? The Holy Spirit is here tonight. You can't see Him with the natural eye, but He's real and He's here in this place tonight. And that was the secret of, of Elisha's ministry, of the power of his ministry, is because he could see beyond the physical realm into the spiritual realm. And in that sixth chapter of uh, 2 Kings, the Syrian army, the Syrian king, had sent their army to the city of Dothan to arrest Elisha. He was down there at Dothan, and, uh, and he had been, he had, by the Spirit of God, Elisha had been telling the king of Israel all the military secrets of the king of Syria. So when the king of Syria would have an ambush laid somewhere, the Spirit of the Lord would tell Elisha, boy, I tell you, I like that, this, by the word, of knowledge, he'd tell Elisha, tell the king of Israel, don't go down there, because that's where, right down there is where the king of Syria has got his army set up. So he'd go, he'd go, you know, tell the king of Syria where, our king of Israel, where Syria was at, and so they'd go down there, sneak up on them, and defeat them every time. So the king of Syria says, you know, I've got, there's a leak here, there's a mole somewhere, amen, I'm, there's a, you know, somebody's giving out on my military secrets. And one of his servants said, no, 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 it's not any of us, it's that man of God down there. <clears throat> it's that prophet of God down there. He's down there at Dolphin, and, and he said, here's what the guy told the king. He said, he, he said, the he knows, he knows what you're saying in your bedroom. When you're making these plans, he knows all about it. And they said, well, we've got, we've got to get him. So send an army down there. Where's he at? He's down at Dothan. Send an army down there to arrest him and bring him back and, and bring him in. We're going we're gonna to get him. Amen. 
And so, 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 uh, Eli- so the army goes down, surrounds the city of Dothan. The next morning, uh, the servant of Elisha gets up. He goes outside and he, he, he opens the door and he looks and my, there's the Syrian army. Got them surrounded on all sides. I mean, it's a terrible situation. And Elisha's servant, when he saw that they were surrounded, he cried out in despair and he said, Oh, alas, what shall we do? When I was reading that, studying that this morning, I thought, you know, how many times I've asked that question when I've looked at circumstances and situations in my life that looked insurmountable and I didn't know how to handle them and how many times I've said, what am I going to do? Anybody else ever said that? Well, at least you know. We know we're in good company because that's the very thing that uh, Elisha's servant said. He said, what shall we do? Fear gripped his heart. He was upset by what he saw on the surface. He was upset. He was rattled and he was frazzled by what appeared through the natural eye because the situation that he saw with his eyes really did look bad. And the truth is the situation in the natural really was bad. Amen. This is our problem today. Here's our problem today. That we, 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 can, we know what is happening around us, but we don't know what's going on. I got that out of the expositors, and that's that. So that I'm not claiming any any originality in that, but I like that because I love that thought. Because we know, listen, we know, and we can see and know what's happening, but we don't know what's going on because there's something going on that you and I can't see with the natural eye. Amen. Hallelujah. See, faith sees and believes what's going on when the natural eye can only see what's happening. I can see what the devil's trying to do to me. I can see what the enemy's trying to bring against me. I can see the natural circumstances, but I just don't know what's going on in the spiritual realm because in that spiritual realm, there's somebody on my side. Can I get an amen? Something's going on. Hallelujah. That song our worship team sings, you know, um, the Waymaker says that even when we don't see it, it, he's working. Even when we don't feel it, he's working. That's what, that's what that song is saying. You can see what's happening, but you don't know what's going on because what's going on is God is moving in your behalf. Amen. Hallelujah. So Elisha said, when, he, when that servant looked and saw that, and he saw that, that they were surrounded, and he said, what are we going to do? We're surrounded. This is the end. Oh, alas. And, and Elisha said to him, fear not. I love this. Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. They that be with us 
are more than they that be with them. Hallelujah. They that be with us are more than they that be with them. Do you ever feel like you're outnumbered? Do you ever feel like you're in the minority? Do you ever feel like you're not going to make it? Let me tell you, fear not today because they that be with us are more than they that be with them. Hallelujah. Those that are for us are more than those that are against us. And if God be for us, then who can be against us? Hallelujah. We got somebody on our side. Amen. He told him to fear not. And over 300 times that word or that phrase, to fear not or to be not afraid, uh, to have no fear, over 300 times in the word of God, that phrase is used. And it's used with a good reason. And the reason not to fear is not because of what is against you, but the reason not to fear is because who of who is for us and who is with us and what is going on in our life that we cannot see. Amen? But Elisha had power and he had faith and it's because he could see into that spiritual realm with the eye of faith. So Elisha says, when his servant says, oh, we're surrounded, we can't, we can't get out of this. And he said, Lord, he just prayed a simple prayer and said, Lord, a simple prayer and he said, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. Not talking about his physical eyes, but talking about his spiritual eyes. Oh, if God would just open our spiritual eyes tonight and let us see what's fighting for us, what is on our side. Glory be to God. And the Lord answered that prayer. And he opened the eyes of this young man. And when he did, he saw, what did he see? He saw horses and chariots of fire all in the mountains, all around, about, all around about Elisha. See, let me tell you something, saints of God. The Lord wants us to know that we are not alone. He wants us to know tonight that we are surrounded by a heavenly host of angels. Hallelujah. He wants us to know that when everything looks bleak and looks bad, that God still is working in our behalf even when we don't see it taking place. That's what faith does. It believes even when it cannot see. And listen, this is, the, this is one of the high offices of the preacher and the pastor. This is one of my duties and one of my jobs, and I, I try to do it every service, and that is this to open your spiritual eyes to be able so you can see only what can be seen with the eye of faith. I want you, I, I try my best, I think you'll agree with this, to try to get your eye and focus off of what's going on in the natural. Not to say you're denying the circumstances. No, that stuff is real. But my job is to try to get your focus off of that and get your focus on the cross of Christ and get your focus on Jesus and get your focus on what God is doing for you and in your life. Hallelujah. Amen. That's what Elisha was doing to his servant. Lord, open his eyes. That's my prayer tonight for every single one here at Abundant Life Family Church that may be going through a difficult time in your life, that God would open your eyes and let you see who's fighting for you and let you see who is on your side and let you see with that eye of faith to know that, listen, everything's going to work out okay. It doesn't matter how bad that it looks. Everything, get your 
your eyes on the master. He's going to bring you through. You're not in this alone. God is with you. A host of angels is fighting for you. The angel of the Lord encamps around about those that fear the Lord. He's with you and will never leave you or forsake you. Praise God. Good thing I ain't preaching Sunday. I've got the voice thing going again. Amen? That's what I attempt to do and pray always that God would help me to be able to do. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 says that we, 17, 19 says that we do not look at the things which are seen, but we look at the things which are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporal or temporary, but the things that are not seen are eternal. The Bible says that Moses endured as seeing him who is invisible. We've got to get our focus on him who is invisible. Can I tell you something tonight? That we see these things by faith and we believe them. I'm not telling you to pray. I'm not telling you to pray that God would show you an angel. Don't delve into that realm wanting to see angels and manifestations of angels because when you start delving into that realm, the enemy can get in there and can manifest something to you that you don't want to have any part of. But, but, but by the eye of faith, you believe and you see and you believe that they're there and God is there and God is with you. But can I tell you something? That right now we see these things and we believe these things by faith. But can I tell you the day is coming very, very soon when our faith is going to become sight and the day is coming very, very soon where these, where these, these physical eyes are going to be wide open and see in the very presence of, we'll be in the very presence of the Lord and we will see him. There's coming a day, Brother Butch, I, you know, and I think about, I think about my, my brother Howard, you know, that's, uh, you know, we, 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 we spent so much time together, you know, and talking Bible and talking about the things of God and, and preaching and, and, and all of that. And now, you know, he's, he's seeing everything. He's experiencing everything that we, that we believe today. But there's coming the day that those eyes will be open and our faith will be sighted and we'll be in the very presence of Almighty God. Hallelujah. We'll see Jesus. The Bible says that we will be like Him for we shall see Him as He is. Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions and if it were not so, I would have told you. Behold, He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you and if I go and prepare a place for you. I am coming back again. I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there you may be also. I'm going where he is. I'm going to see him as he is. One day you and I will walk on golden streets and we will live in that mansion and we will see it in its reality and in its fullness. I'm looking forward to that day. That's what keeps me going on. That's how Moses endured, has seen him who is invisible. And that's what the apostle Paul said. Keep your eyes on the, focused on those things that are not seen. Yes. Yes. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. This great man of God, great prophet of God, was great because he knew how to deal with sinners and he knew how to keep his faith and 
in that which he couldn't see with the natural eye. But listen to me in closing. Elijah was the only man that I'm aware of in the Bible that was able to work a miracle after he was dead. Worked a miracle from the grave. He died, he was buried, and sometime after the death of Elisha, there was a funeral procession that was on its way to the cemetery. There was a band of Moabite raiders that were causing some havoc in that particular part of the country, and that band of raiders appeared, and those guys that were carrying the dead man needed to get away, needed to get out. So they just quickly put this dead guy that they were going to bury, they didn't have time to get him to his grave, so they just threw him, lowered him into the tomb of Elisha. And when that dead body of that guy touched the old, dead, dry bones of the man of God, there was enough life and resurrection power still in the bones of Elisha that that dead guy resurrected and came to life and stood up. Amen? There was more power in the old dry bones of Elisha than there is in most churches and most preachers today. Praise God. Amen? Can I tell you something, ladies and gentlemen, that what the church needs today is not a new or a different plan. We don't need a new or a different program. We don't need a new or a different way or mode of operating. What the church needs today, what preachers need today, is we need to come in contact once again with the same power and the same anointing that our forefathers had. We need today the same Pentecostal power that Peter had and John had and Paul had and we need once again just to touch have a touch of the same anointing that was on great men of God such as Smith Wigglesworth and Raymond T. Ritchie and mighty preachers of the past we need another move of God let me say it to you this way what we need is another blast from the past Hallelujah. We don't need something new. We need the same power that our forefathers had, that my grandparents had, that my mom and dad had. Give us another Azusa Street. Give us another Pentecost. Give us another outpouring. Hallelujah. Do it again in 2019. Let's stand and worship the Lord.